Well, good morning, church. I wanted to share a little update with you, a little bit more of an expansion and transparency on what the search team is doing um, for this church and finding our new senior pastor. Slingshot, you've probably heard that term that the search committee has been working with. You're probably wondering, what is that? I know what a slingshot is from when I was a little kid, but Slingshot is a recruitment firm that's nationwide that specializes in clergy and ministry. This is a search team that was, or a search firm that was engaged a couple of boards before, while Daryl was still here. So this action was put in place. It's not something that's been recent. There's a timeline that's out here in the corridor that will um, help show you the process that we've been going through. So candidates are recruited by Slingshot. Candidates are also recruited by the Disciples of Christ through what is called the search and call process. But all those candidates are submitted to Slingshot for what we call vetting. It's an equal evaluation of those candidates, their criteria, their education, how they may fit with this particular church. And, <clears throat> excuse me, all those candidates go through, those, through that process. When it's completed, they're graded, and then they are, if they pass a certain grade, then they're sent to our search team here for further evaluation. I wanted to share with you what that grading process is based on. So they submit their biography, they submit their education, they submit their personal profiles. Then they go through a, an evaluation, communication ability, that's one of the process that they're graded on, leadership ability, demonstrated performance, that means do they have a history in the pulpit, personal chemistry, how well might they fit with this church profile, a culture fit that goes along with that same idea of who South Suburban Christian Church is, and personal stability. So there are six grading points that go on here. They're graded uh, from one to five in each one of these points, so they could have a potential of 30 points, which would be outstanding. Any that are scored that are less than 20 are not eligible for submittal here. So there is an evaluation and an elimination process before we even get to see them. So that helps us know on the search team that we're getting viable candidates that would be good for this church. So we're in the process. That process is taking place. We've had candidates submitted. We've even had initial interviews with some of them. Some of them haven't maybe passed muster, and we've said thank you, but no. Um, some others are rising like cream to the top of the bottle. So the process continues. Um, it's at work. God's working, sending us who that right candidate will be for this church. So I just wanted to let you know what the process is, what's been going on, and um, how we're continuing 
to find that person that God wants to lead this church. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. For those of you who maybe are new to South Suburban, Bob serves as our elder chair and uh, also one of the guys on our search team. And so just grateful for all the ministry that he's done here. Uh, what that means for, uh, for the Tanton family is we have about one more month here with you all at South Suburban. And this has been, it seems like, um, the slowest and at the same time the fastest 20 months or so. That, uh, that we've been with you. And so uh, for those of you who don't know, we are planning a church in North Colorado Springs, and that's something that God had laid on our heart uh, a number of years ago. And, and so this was something that was an, an understanding from the very beginning when we engaged in conversation with South Suburban here that you were looking for a two-year fill-in-the-blank kind of <laughs> help us through this next season. And, and we were recognizing that we were about two years from being able to launch and just said, if the Lord is in this, then um, let's step forward into it. And it's been a it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Um, so we are uh, we are enjoying our our final month here uh, at South Suburban, and we're certainly going to miss you all. Uh, this morning, I want to be able to just step right into our sermon series that we started a few weeks ago. That's that's called Focus, and it's really for us as a church, not just South Suburban, but for the church, the body of Christ to look at these biblical bedrocks, these things that, that really transcend a, a church's location and geography, um, a, a, a church's demographic, a church's leadership, a church's denomination, a church's attendance, like all those things. It transcends all those things. These are biblical bedrocks, things that should be present within the body of Christ. And we've talked about what it looks like to give of ourselves. Uh, we had the best model in the Son of God, who came and gave himself fully for humanity, for you and for me. We talked about what it is to pursue God and make him number one in our lives. The most important thing, that if we would go after him and we would pursue his kingdom, he said he would take care of all the other things for us. It doesn't mean that he is going to um, like make us all millionaires and make life super easy. It means that he has promised that he would take care of us, though if we will be about the Father's business. Today we're looking at families and what it is to raise families. Uh, the church is a family, and we make family a priority here. This last week was the, uh, the, first, um, the first day of school for my kids, and so we took the annual first day of school pictures. You guys familiar with those, right? Uh, we've all seen them, and I really believe you could probably classify these pictures this is not my family, by the way. This is an example here. Um, I think you can classify these pictures in, in two categories, the ones that are posed and the ones that are real, right? The poses are when we get everybody's hair looking right, everybody's looking at the camera at the same time, everybody's smiling, everybody's standing up straight, um, and then there are the ones that capture the reality of your family, and that's more like this. It's when you just say, just go for it, be yourself, like, I want to see your personality, whatever you feel like, just go for it. These are the pictures that I really love. And then I think you capture this on the first day of school as well, this third picture. <laughs> this is the parents who are excited, maybe, getting the kids into the, into the van and off to school. One of the things I love about these pictures that we take each year, and especially when it just comes to capturing family pictures in general, I think it's just a beautiful 
reminder of the position that God takes with each one of us, and that is that no matter where you are in the excitement or in the craziness of life, God loves you and he accepts you right where you're at. And I think probably every one of us would be extremely grateful and we could say a big hearty amen that God loves me in the middle of my mess. Can I get an amen on that? He loves me in the middle of my mess. Maybe I've got it all together and I'm ready for school to start. Maybe it surprised me. Maybe, maybe I, like it's a season of craziness and God loves me right in the middle of my mess. And today we're going to step right into the middle of that mess as we talk about family. Um, family is such a broad term these days because we apply it to so many areas of our life. There's a family we were born into. Um, you might call those your biological family. There's, there's friends who have become like family in your life. There is certainly the family that you married into. Um, then there are those who have become like family as well. You, you develop a family at work. You develop a family at school. You develop a family at church. No matter what your definition of family is, here's where I'd like to start this morning, and that is this statement. God believes that family is a big deal, and he desires for your family to be healthy. That's his desire. In our society today, in the culture we live in, we have this fast-paced culture, and we also have this screen-focused culture where it's hard to get people to look up from their phones. It's hard to get people to step away from their technology. And it has become more difficult for people to develop real relationships. Yet God designed the family to function best when we're in healthy relationships with one another. That's how he made it. And so those relationships are incredibly important, and there's a divine pattern for how that family is to function. So I'm not talking about tricks. I'm not talking about gimmicks. We're looking at God's truth and how that can become part of our lives. What are the things that you could look at in God's Word and you could apply to your family, you could apply to your life to see your family become healthy and to begin to thrive because whatever you're going to do in terms of your family life, in order for it to work, I want you to hear me on this, in order for it to work, it has to flow out of God's plan. We have tried all kinds of things on our own, haven't we? It's got to flow out of God's plan. He understands it best. He created us. He created our families. He put us together. So today I want to look at a few passages. You're going to see these in your notes. You'll also see them on the screen here in a little bit. Out of the book of Ephesians, and it really is just going to help us to focus in on these healthy essentials to raising families. Now, they're essentials, and at the same time, they're also tensions. So they're really important, but it doesn't mean that they're extremely easy. In fact, a lot of times, they're really challenging. And it's so important for us to fight for these kinds of things in our families. And the first is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And this attribute is foundational in every relationship, but especially within the family. Um, it's essential for relationships. And in a word, it's simply this, grace. It's essential in our families. But it's something we have to fight for oftentimes. If the family is to flourish, there must be grace. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 tells us. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. 
You can't have healthy relationships without compassion and forgiveness. You can't have it without grace. In fact, there's not a person in this world that you're going to be able to have a relationship where you're not going to have to extend amazing grace to them. And guess what? Vice versa. There's not a single person in this world that's going to be able to engage you in a healthy relationship unless they extend amazing grace to you. Every relationship needs that same grace that God extended to us. So let's, let's kind of just, I don't know, call it like it is. We've messed up numerous times in life, haven't we? You and I have. Maybe I have more than you. But, but we've all messed up numerous times in life, and God has been faithful to extend grace to us every single time. Scripture says that he has compassion on us. He forgives us. He releases us from our past mistakes. There's a, a, um, a guy that maybe you would re- recognize his name uh, uh, from history, Patrick Henry, who's really, um, a, a lot of people uh, his, think his greatest contribution to the history books is his phrase of, give me liberty or give me death. Another one of his statements that, uh, that comes from him is this, and it says, I know of no way of judging the future but by the past. Now listen, that phrase has a... Uh, a great ring of common sense to it, but it's a lousy foundation for relationships. Judging the future by the past. God certainly doesn't reflect this when he relates to us. Here's here's what uh, the book of Lamentations says. Jeremiah wrote this, the Lord's compassion never ends. They're new every morning. For great is your faithfulness, Lord. We've messed up lots of times. God does not base our future on our past. He forgives us. He releases us. But we often struggle to extend that very same grace that we're so grateful to receive. Because we keep a record. We remember what people have done to us. And there's no greater place than this happens than within the family. And yet there's no greater call in our life than to extend this grace within our family. See, I I recognize this. I think you recognize it too. My family is going to mess up, and if I hold it against them, my family's not going to thrive. I want you to recognize that within the body of Christ, within this church, that people within this church, even your leadership, They're going to mess up. And if you hold it against them, this church will not thrive. That's how important grace is. That's how important it is in your family. That's how how necessary it is for you to extend grace. If people don't extend grace to you, you're not going to be able to thrive. It's an essential within our life. My family, including me, has blown it. And the most powerful thing that you can say in those moments is you messed up. But there's nothing that you could do that would make me love you less. And I'm not going to hold this against you. Grace is so powerful. It's something that none of us have earned. It's a gift that God has extended to us, and it's a gift that God wants to extend through us to our families. 
The second biblical essential for raising families is submission. I want to talk about this word submission in the next couple of moments here. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that we are to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of, out of honor for him because of how he has loved us and modeling what he has done for us. We are to submit ourselves to one another. And so I want to talk just a moment here about this principle of mutual submission. Paul says, be subject to one another, submit to one another. And he's not talking about wives to their husbands here. He's not talking about children to their parents. He's actually talking about everybody in this statement, that we would all submit ourselves to one another. What does that look like? Because somebody's got to be in the lead. Somebody's got to, to be the head. But when you're the lead, when you're the head, it doesn't mean that you lord it over them or that you are the most important one. It means that you're the first one to submit yourself that's how you lead. This is a, a, almost a generic kind of submission. So it's not in regards to your role within the family, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're a parent or a child or maybe even a grandparent. This is just a foundational principle for healthy families. And there's a, a, a fascinating th thing here. that The Greek word for this is hupatasso, hupatasso, and it means to rank under. So mutual submission means this. It means that we're called to place our desires underneath each other. We're called to submit our, what, what we want. We're called to place that underneath others. You see how this is so important in a family that we're not the one who says, listen, I'm the husband and I'm the dad. It's my way or it's the highway. And what I want is what's going to happen here. And if I want that wall blue and if I want to buy this and if I want to go here and if I, like that's the way it's going to be, I'm called to, to lead by submitting first and saying it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want. It's not all about my desires. When this is done truly, it makes for very meaningful relationships within your family. This principle is incredibly dominant in Scripture when it, it, expressing the ideas of humility, expressing the ideas of meekness that are so basic to Christian character. So let me put it in, in applicable terms for us today. It means that you leverage everything that you have, your power, your assets, your time, for the benefit of those that you love dearly. That's what it is to submit myself to my family. That's what it is to submit to one another, that I leverage my power, my assets, and my time to benefit the ones that I love dearly. I'm investing my things, my time, into someone else. Their desires, their needs, their life becomes more important. So I yield my life. I, I set my life aside for them. It's the opposite of selfishness. It's sacrifice for those that you love. So when we talk about submission within the family, it's really important that we, we get on the same page, that we're a team, that we recognize that we're in it for one another. We want to see one another thrive. We want to see one another um, be fulfilled. And so we submit our own desires to see the desires of one another fulfilled. This mutual submission says, although I may be your leader, I may be your protector, I may be your provider, the, the longings and the desires of your heart compel me more than my own do. 
I want to say that one more time. Although I may be your leader, I may be your protector, I may be your provider, the longings and the desires of your heart compel me more than my own. I want to see you thrive. That's what mutual submission looks like. We had the best example in Jesus who submitted himself on our behalf. He yielded his life for our sake. Scripture tells us he was equal with God and yet he submitted to God. It says he was over man and yet he stooped to meet man at his deepest point of need. He submitted his life for our sake. Here's the third, the final attribute. It's closely connected to submission. It's also equally as important in raising families. If marriages and families are to fulfill their purpose, it becomes a matter of commitment. It becomes a matter of commitment because a part of this unselfish devotion to God and an unselfish devotion to each other, it's just not going to happen. We have to be committed to it. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. It doesn't mean that they change the way they feel about their parents. I want you to hear me on this. It doesn't mean they change the way they feel about their parents. It means that they're making a stronger commitment to someone else. It doesn't undo the love that they have it, it actually builds something even stronger on top of that. There's a commitment that requires an all-in when it comes to family. And as you read this passage, I see today many spouses that will leave their parents for each other, but they won't leave their other things behind for each other. They won't leave their hobbies behind. They won't leave shopping behind. They won't leave sports behind. They won't leave their buddies and their girlfriends. They won't leave their careers behind. Now listen, when Scripture talks about leaving behind their parents, it doesn't mean they have nothing to do with it. Again, it doesn't change that relationship. It means that there's something that becomes more important. And if we're really going to see our families thrive, if we're going to see our families become all that they can be, we have to be committed above everything else in our life. Our relationship with our God, followed by our relationship with our family. And if those aren't number one and two in your life, this, it's not going to work, guys. I'm just going to lay it out there for you as plain and simple as I can. If those two things are not in order, it will not work. You've got to set those aside. Many people start their marriages out fragmented from the very beginning because they're not willing to make this all-in commitment. And then when you, add, when you add kids to the equation, does it get easier? <laughs> it becomes more complex. When you started out fragmented already, it just becomes more complex when you add kids to the equation. Being willing to leave other things behind and truly become one is what God has called us to do. So there's no magic formula, there's no trick, there's no gimmicks. It's not really a question of how many times did we do this or how many times did we do that or who's in charge. Like That's not 
what this sermon is about, and that's not what Scripture is laying out here. As you look in our society today, really it becomes a question that, we, that starts in your heart. Am I committed to this? Am I really committed to my family? Where are they at in my priorities? I've got to be all in. And this culture that says that I'll stay with you as long as you give me what I want, and when you don't give me what I want, I'm moving on, God has called us to something very different. When it takes work, when the going gets tough, God calls us to double down on our commitment. Meaningful marriages, thriving families are only possible when you have this total commitment all in. And it's only possible when your personal desires are submitted regularly for others. You can't have the collision, I want you to see this, you can't have the collision of two independently selfish individuals and build a relationship. Again, I just want to lay it out. This needs to click with us. It doesn't work. When you have the collision of two selfish individuals, relationship doesn't work. We have to lay those things aside. Meaningful marriages, thriving families are only possible when grace is extended every single day. And when you operate in those three attributes, those three essentials, those three tensions, it produces the most fulfillment and joy that you'll ever find in life. Grace, submission, commitment. It's important to realize God's plan for the family isn't to make you look like a family that belongs on the cover of a magazine. And for some of you, you can just unburden yourself from that. That's not what God's looking for. For some of you, you probably said a silent hallelujah inside. (laughs) that's, That's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for a family photo that belongs on the cover of a magazine. What he wants is to magnify himself in your family. And so these three essentials that we talk about are things that God first showed us And now he wants to show the world through our family. That the world would see your family and they would say, they are so full of grace. They have submitted themselves. They are not about each other. Or they're not about themselves. They're about each other. That family is so committed. What's that look like within the church family? What's that look like as you look across the aisle here at the rest of your church family? Does the world see that when they look at South Suburban? That church is so full of grace and submission and commitment. This family that we're talking about is really a training ground as we're raising up our children, as we're learning ourselves It's really a training ground for us to experience God's love, to experience God's grace, to prepare us for what it looks like to be committed and and faithful. And one day that we could offer that same kind of a relationship to someone else in, in marriage. And one day that we could offer that same kind of a relationship to God. That's part of what 
God's desire is within the family, that your children as they grow up, they would have had the greatest example of what grace looks like, that they would be able to apply that to a gracious Father in heaven. That they would understand the dynamic. They would have grown up in a healthy dynamic of, of submission, of sacrifice. That when it comes time for them to understand, to truly grab a hold of the story of what Jesus did for us, that they would, it would click with them and they would understand, that's what my family has done for me. I get it, what Jesus has done. That when they get this, this idea, this opportunity to say, God asks now for a commitment. He's committed to you. The greatest thing we can do in our life is make a commitment to him that they get what it is to be all in. See, the family is really a transcendent thing. It goes beyond. It's bigger than itself. It really is the training ground and a, a ramping up place for us and for our kids. And so as I, as I close out my message this morning, talking about grace and submission and commitment, I want to point out that, again, these are things that are a reflection of what God has already offered to you and he's offered to me. He offers grace. He offers forgiveness without holding you to your past. Jesus submitted himself to the point of death on a cross for us. He was committed. He committed himself to us. And if we will submit ourselves to him, if we'll make that genuine commitment to him, scripture tells us that we will have, we will receive a, a thriving, fulfilling, abundant life. Just as we started out this sermon saying that if we aren't willing to do it this way, we're not going to get the results that we want. Everybody's looking for fulfillment in life. They're looking for that abundant life. But we have to recognize there's only one way for us to receive that. And that's when we're willing to say yes to Jesus. We're willing to make a commitment to him. And that's what I want to give you an opportunity to do this morning as we close. If you've never made a decision to just say yes to Jesus and make that commitment, or if maybe you did that a number of years ago, but something happened in life to where you decided you were going to try it on your own for a season, regardless of where you're at, I just want to give you an opportunity to recenter yourself, to get back in that pathway that leads you to abundant life. The things that you want most in life, they're found in him. And I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you this morning, if you would like to receive his grace, if you would like to make that commitment to him and place him back in the center of your life, I'm just going to ask you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes, and you can pray this prayer with me this morning. You can say, God, I thank you for your unconditional grace in my life. Thank you that you've offered that to me, and today I want to say yes. I want to receive it. I want to be the recipient of your grace. I thank you, Jesus, for submitting yourself to die on a cross for me so that I could have life. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins today, that you'd give me a brand new start. I invite you to become the Lord of my life, to become the center of my life, and I ask that you give me the strength to make a commitment to follow you from this day forward now. 
It's in your name I pray. Amen.